This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, like the economy, is back, baby. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and he is Andrew Page, the Managing Director, CEO, and founder of Strawman.com. Mr. Page, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are we? Good. Now, I say good morning, and let's get this out of the way, because we're recording this on Thursday morning, not Friday afternoon when you hear it, and the day and a half is uh, a bit of time, so... <laughs> things, are moving, things are moving fast. But I will yeah. say good morning, mate. How are you? Are you waterlogged at your place? Yeah, we we are very much so. I mean, we're we're lucky, so we don't have we don't have water on the floorboards or anything at this stage. Nice. But yeah, we're feeling pretty damp, and um, yeah, it's pretty surreal what's happening out there. Yeah, um, but, uh, so much happened in the last couple of weeks, uh, last week and last couple of days actually. So um, let's let's try and tick some of this stuff off. Not that uh, it's a box ticking exercise, but let's get through it. So. The first is, if you are struggling with floods and deluge inundation, as we speak, half a million Sydney siders have been evacuated from their homes. Uh, we know that Queensland, particularly southeast Queensland and Brisbane, northern rivers, New- Lismore and surrounds have just had an absolutely torrid week with floods. And I dare say, almost by law of averages, there'll be some people listening to us who are impacted by that. If that's you, uh, we're sorry to hear it. We hope the water goes down quickly and you can get back to life. We hope the damage isn't too serious. Um, Tough times, and uh, as you said before, off air, mate, have biblical type proportions. One in a thousand year flood are some of the numbers being thrown around. Uh, in Sydney, the water likely to rise to higher levels than last year's floods. Um, when you say last year, right? One, one in a thousand years, or one in one year? I was just um, going to say, I hate that. God, I hate that. Like these, exactly. these, you know. Yep. Let's start calling it the one in ten year kind of event That's because problem, it feels right? like. Feels like that's more apt. Well, it only happened last year, exactly. Although it, was, it is worse than last year, so maybe it is. Maybe it is the worst in, in, in a while, or maybe even recorded history. But the fact is, it's happening and it's here. So uh, we are we are thinking of you if that's if that's you. Uh, I want to also, mate, uh, mention we we did record our last episode or our at least our well both episodes actually last Thursday morning. Uh, subsequent to that, of course, the Russians did invade Ukraine, horrifying the world and horrifying us. Uh, and so we did mention that you know there were a range of outcomes possible. I think. I don't know. I was I was pretty hopeful that we actually wouldn't see um, this sort of thing. Putin's been known for saber rattling. Uh, I, I, maybe I was just naive. Maybe it was a bit Pollyanna-ish. But I was hoping we wouldn't see what we've seen in the subsequent events. And so, um, it just yeah, I, I don't know. We probably don't have any Ukrainians listening. I don't imagine. Uh, but our hearts go out to them as well. And and just the most most, most horrible, unnecessary invasion uh, of of Ukraine. Uh, obviously. Um, you know, rolling straight across sovereign borders, uh, causing death, injury, and and unhappiness uh, for bugger all reasons. So, uh, you know, I no one cares what I think of geopolitics, but uh, but will happily strongly condemn it in the in the, the strongest possible terms. Just completely unnecessary. The death and destruction is just on one man's ego. Um, a complete, absolute disgrace. I am pretty happy, mate, to see the world actually start to respond uh, in in more meaningful ways. No military action, of course, uh, and I don't know whether that should be done. I don't, I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions, but um, the non-military support sanctions that have been put in place uh, can only be welcomed, I think. Uh, obviously, impacts there, by the way. Average Russians will absolutely suffer for that as well. So there are no winners in this one. Uh, hopefully, there are as few losers as possible, and I'm desperately hopeful that the sanctions will actually work at some way, shape, or form. So, yeah. mate, yeah, so we're not, we're not geopolitics experts, we're, you know, but but we... we Remember that the finance world exists inside society, not the other way around. And so, when these things happen, it's 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 important that we call them out. Yeah, and we kind of we have to talk about it uh, a bit, really, because it does have an impact on markets yeah. and investing and all of that stuff. Although I'm yep. just I, I cringe a little bit because particularly yeah, so. if you're on Twitter, there's if if the world 
doesn't need one more thing. It's another finance bro, <laughs> you know, giving their take on things. So yeah. was, we saw it so much with COVID, you know, yeah. it was all, all these finance professionals, you know, prescribing exactly what needs to be done now, <laughs> now with the war. So I really don't yeah. want to be the person who waxes lyrical on all, you know, what Ukraine yeah. needs to do is execute. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, at, at the same time, I will say I kind of, I kind of get why that the finance community is perhaps um, yep. more happy in putting forward uh, thoughts yeah. on it because you kind of this is the hard thing with mm. investing is it it's such it's such a fascinating game because you are you are trying to mm. work out the you know what's who has the best model of the world and how it's mm. going to unfold yeah right that's, that's possibly one of the biggest questions that you can ask but I mean no mm. matter you're investing in a small ASX company or a mm. multinational conglomerate based in Russia I mean it's all it's mm. all connected mm. so you you kind of you can't you can't be too agnostic on all of this stuff because it all does matter. Mm. And so we are, I, yeah, I, I think, I, I don't know, it does, I do spend, I've spent a lot of my time over the last week sort of thinking all of this kind of through. But as you rightly say, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm not a geopolitical expert and I'm mindful of that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a really good point. But the other thing I'll say is we will then now talk a little bit about Ukraine and the impact of it from a financial perspective and uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, well, the, the invasion is clearly wrong, but, you know, the, the, the markets are open and we, uh, the Motley Fool, provide financial advice. You host a website that allows people to make their uh, judgments uh, on on future share prices. And these things are, they have financial implications. <clears throat> Sometimes there are opportunities thrown up by this scenario. Sometimes we actually just have a situation where people are just freaked out and not sure what to do about it with their mm. finances. If you've got, you know, investments, superannuation, anything in between and probably both, um, you know, the, the, the what next Financially is a question that people ask, and it's a question that uh, you know the Motley Fool. We're, as we're paid to answer. Um, it, it's a question on the minds of your members, mate. And so you know, it's it's an important it's an important thing to discuss. Um, it's not even close to as important as the actual issues in Ukraine, the the human cost, human toll. Um, it is a bit distasteful at one level to talk about. You know, how can I make a bit more money or lose a bit less money uh, in in single percentage points when people are dying and, and having their their homes bombed and, and all that kind of stuff? It's just a horrible, horrible situation. Mm. But yeah, we will do it, and we'll do it because that's what we're here to do. Uh, that's what we're, in some cases, paid to do. Other cases, just that's why people are listening. And so, uh, it's it's important that we address these these sorts of things and the financial implications. And I don't I, I don't apologise for it because that's what people want to know. And we're here providing a service, and, and we're getting paid to provide that service in some cases. But um, the reality is, the markets trade regardless, right? So, mm. so we 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 it, I think it's appropriate and, and important that we have a response and that we help our our listeners in this case. Um, just work their way through what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mate, let's uh, so let's let's get into that uh, with with that with that kind of preamble. It's not a very exciting preamble, not a very happy preamble, uh, and we will try and lift the tone a little bit and have a bit of fun while we talk about the through the podcast, just because there's enough doom and gloom around the place, and we'll try and we'll try and do it in an unusual way, mate. Um, let's let's then go to that economic impact of Ukraine. Um, I am mindful mostly that uh, economically speaking, again, we'll you know. <laughs> I'm not going to keep saying humanitarian is more important or people care, matter more. I hope you've heard us say that. We've done that. So we will move from that. Um, but just keep that in mind. Russia is responsible for, mate, on some numbers I saw, 16% of the world's oil and gas mm. and 11% of the world's wheat, among lots of other things. And I guess the very first instance, the most obvious thing that is at risk 
is the price of those commodities to the extent that Russia chooses not to or is not allowed to or simply can't get its products into the world market. Uh, that's a pretty big whack. If you take out $1 in, what's that, dollar and six of one litre and six maybe of, of oil, uh, one barrel and six of oil and gas and gas equivalent. Um, if you take out one container load of nine of the world's wheat, uh, obviously there are questions about shortage and obviously there are questions about prices. We've seen the price of Brent crude oil hit $110 a barrel, the highest in seven and a half years apparently. Uh, I was talking to Steve Price on radio this morning and he reminded me and I actually, when he gave me the numbers, I, I questioned them because I thought he made a mistake, but it wasn't. Uh, in 2020, in the middle of COVID, uh, petrol got as cheap as 80 cents a litre. It's now over two bucks a litre. These things are these things are not small impacts on the global economy and they have, you know, not just first order impacts, but second and third order impacts, right? The cost of oil is not just the price that we put petrol in our cars at it's the cost of getting shipping or, or air freight around the world it's the cost of the truck that drives your produce from the, you know your bananas from from queensland to victoria it's the it's the you know oil is literally what greases the wheels of the world's economy and then wheat similarly right you think about the cost mm. of that and the, and the flow-on impacts you know if oil is more expensive then fuel is more expensive if fuel is more expensive then food's more expensive if food's more expensive and, and so on and so on it goes um it's it's not a small issue mate but how big an issue is it in terms of the Australian economy? It's not – look, it's not as big as it would be for many countries in Europe, particularly those reliant on um, mm. gas from, from Russia. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's not insignificant. I mean, in some ways it's advantageous, right? Like mm. if you're a wheat mm. producer here, price of wheat's just yes, gone up. exactly. That's the hard and, part, And yeah. demand has gone up for it. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a silver lining uh, on that. I've always – what I find hard about – I mean, all of these impacts are absolutely true, but they're in areas that are inherently and by nature already hyper-volatile and hyper-sensitive yeah. and hyper-fragile to, to mm-hmm. all kinds of events. So whether it's sort of, you know, weather-related or geopolitically related or logistics chain-related or whatever it happens to be, uh, just um, – natural variability in all of these things makes it super hard. I, I've done this exercise before. It kind of trivialises things and I don't mean to mm, do that, mm, but like mm. bring up a chart of the oil price over a 50-year yep. period yep. Uh, without an x-axis along the bottom. I guess you could probably roughly work it out. But then, you know, point point to the to to these similar periods like this in history. Mm, They're actually mm. hard to see amongst all the noise. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I guess, yeah, yeah it's yeah. really real, but then it's sort of like, okay, this will go away at some point in the future, but it's mm. not like everything goes back to a nice straight even line after that <laughs> kind of point. So yeah, it just, it, yeah. for me, it's a real reminder. It's like, oh, thank God I'm not exposed too much to these these directly impacted areas because, man, it's just hard. That's a good point, isn't it? It's a, it's a tough one because, I, I mean, we talked about inflation a couple of times in the last few weeks and a part of me doesn't want to keep going back to it. Part of me knows we have to keep going back to it because it's going to be the big local economic story. Well, <laughs> I should make predictions in March about what the year's going to come, given the last couple of years' worth of uh, worth of events. But it's most likely to be the big economic story, the big macroeconomic story at least of 2022 because we know that things are going up in price. And this is only going to add to that, right? I mean, whatever, whatever inflationary pressures already exist in the economy. And yes, the RBA says, well, we'll exclude fuel from you know, our, our basket of goods because it's volatile. And that's true. But as I said, if, if fuel is increasing the cost of literally everything else that we do, everything we have delivered, everything goes to a supermarket, everything that goes into that, that goes into the supermarket. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it turtles all the way down, as you, you like to say. Um, you, can't, you can't escape that. And, and because transport is such a dramatically large proportion of cost in almost every 
decently priced good. I mean, if you, I guess, you know, at some point, uh, if you're spending a million dollars on something, you probably don't pay much in fuel to get it to you. But, you know, when, you, when you're buying lettuce, heads of lettuce and, you know, boxes of cereal and whatever else, uh, even if it's not the oil price specifically that they're looking at and saying, well, we'll exclude petrol. Uh, it's hard to exclude some other stuff. We had a, again, I was speaking to Steve this morning and he was saying, he spoke to a truckie or a, shouldn't say truckie, a head, of a, head of a transport industry association who's saying they expect transport to become 20% more expensive over the next couple of months That's based huge. on these fuel prices right now. Again, forecast to forecast, but it, you know, it, it's going to go into all of those things every time, you know, taxis, just literally every every bit of the, of the economy that relies on transport, uh, is going to be impacted by this one and, and that will push prices up and that's something we need to be a little bit mindful of at least. Mm, time, time to break out the strategic reserves perhaps. <laughs> Maybe, although it depends whether it's going to go down or not. That was the other thing, by the way, is, you know, and this is, you know, uh, they can fall as quickly as they go up as you've rightly pointed out, mate. Uh, it drives me a little bit nuts, by the way, too, that, and it's not, I, I like financial markets, I like markets in general, uh, but a lot of this price increase is actually based on futures, not even on actual supply and actual mm. costs. Mm. So you've got some you've got some desk jockeys around the country and around the world saying, well, in June, I might have to pay $120 a barrel for my oil because uh, there might be a war on. It's like, well, maybe, but, you know, it's, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, right? And it, that's mm. futures trading for decent reasons. Um, but you look at that and go, so the price we're paying now is probably not that impacted by the war in Ukraine, ironically. It's impacted by the fact that some trader somewhere thinks that in a couple of months' time there might be a shortage. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you're putting, when you're, you know, filling your tank up at the pump, you're like, I'm paying an extra $15 because some knucklehead thinks that petrol might be more expensive in a couple of months' time. It's, uh, that can be a little bit hard to, to swallow too, just quietly. I've got to say, I don't, I don't mean to keep pushing it off in this direction, but, but I think another silver lining here is this, I think this could really hasten the, the shift to renewables, yeah. um, which is very important for environmental reasons. But I think it's, I think what's sort of, it's been highlighted also for mm. cost stability, uh, security yep. reasons, energy independence reasons. It's sort of, I, I feel as though this is, is going to be a really strong accelerant for mm. all of that mm. kind mm. of stuff, which actually mm. be great for our, our economy overall. Um, because, <clears throat> you know, people, people who are, um, Providing all of their uh, mm, electricity mm. off off their rooftop through their batteries and driving an electric car, you know, their cost is what two cents a kilometer. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it's just sort of, I find it I find it interesting that it's just sort of like you can have a really sensible conversation about all this mm, stuff without mm, once mm. mentioning the the planet. Um, and I I think I think it just it just adds yet another sort of weight to that side of the scale where it will it will help accelerate that, which which would be a great thing for a, for a bunch of reasons, economically, socially, and environmentally. Sorry, there's my there's my little greeny rant, and I'll I'll put a pin in it. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. And no, it's, it's absolutely true, mate. It, you know, does I I, I I tweet about petrol prices, and this is uh, you know the the old joke of you know how you know if someone's a vegan, don't worry, they'll tell you. Um, it's, it's kind of it's kind of I, that's me offending the good vegans. Uh, let me let me know let me know offend the real energy fans because it's like how you know if someone drives a Tesla, don't worry, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. Um, <laughs> on, on Twitter, I think I, I made one comment. I think about oil prices or something. I think it was even ten. I can't remember. And I must have had. I oh, know. Right, it was bloody. It was the convoy of Canberra knuckleheads who, uh, who, uh, oh man, I called I called some other people knuckleheads once, and I got abused for that. So let's see whether I get some convoy from to Canberra knuckleheads who uh, who tweeted me this week. Uh, anyway, I was saying, look, you know, I was in a petrol station filling up, and they were in there without masks and not, you know, blah blah blah. Uh, I will I will actually fill the story out only because I want to save myself the grief. The store at the front had masks required. The government rules were masks required, whether you like the rule or not. That was the rule. Just wear your bloody masks. Anyway, uh, so I tweeted about that. 
And I must have had, I want to say five or six people say, oh, I don't have to fill up the petrol station. I drive an EV. I got a Tesla. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, you're killing me. Yeah. Anyway, it was Spread, fun. Spread um, the word, evangelical. Oh, I'll tell yeah, you what. Uh, Apparently, the Turnbulls are getting a Tesla too, I saw, uh, I saw this week. Um, yeah, so look, I think you're right. And look, it, it is absolutely a positive. Um, the, the move towards renewables, it, just, it makes sense, right? It makes economic sense. It makes environmental sense. It's a, it's a literal no-brainer, right? If you're going to create capacity, build capacity, why you would choose not to build renewables? capacity. Um, I, I often, you know, I think Seriously. <laughs> that one of the other groups that complains when you compare the government to households, and, oh, government's not a household. I know. But if, if Australia and the world was, you know, your house or my house, if it was our property, if it was our family's future, uh, and someone said, well, you can go over there and build, you know, burn some coal for, for you know, save some money, or in this case, probably not even that, but, you know, or you could do renewals. Like, well, I, I care about my kids. I'm going to set them up. You know, if, you get, if you're saving money for your kids, if you're putting any money away for your kids right now, not not putting, you know, um, karmic money or just literal money away in terms of making their world a better place is it just but blows what, my what, mind. Uh, yeah, that's I mean that's 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 the big picture and it's one hundred percent right. But I, I the point that I want to emphasize is that put that away, make yeah, pretend yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the argument is still ridiculously strong logically. Just just anyone anyone who likes to pay less, be less dependent on yeah. petro state dictatorships and the rest of it. You know, yeah. it's just just yeah. a no-brainer. It's like yeah. cheaper, more reliable, more consistent. It's just like, oh, oh, it saves the planet as well. Okay, that's a nice bonus. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It doesn't this yeah. is this is the thing. And it's it's sort of like we we don't even need new technology. We've yeah, got right. it right now. Just do it for goodness sakes. Anyway. Right. Let's move on from that one. Uh so yes, the, you know, I, I think and here's the thing, right? So for all of that. Um, let's go. Let's go to the market fallout then, because I don't know, mate. I, I we're a broken record on this podcast pretty regularly. Every now and again, our listeners mention that, and uh, nicely, of course. Oh, thank you for thank you for being so consistent with your thoughts. But that was again, really, guys. Um, and thank you for just uh, covering the environmental one. That's that's tick that box. I should have a bit of a. I was going to say drinking game, but neither you nor I have finished this podcast. If we had to exclude topic, topic bingo, mentions of Warren Buffett, climate change, uh, inflation, <laughs> we'd be we'd be under the table halfway through. Be a shorter podcast, but the last fifteen minutes would be very edifying. Um, the the uh, what was I going to what was I going to say? Oh yeah, the market market response. So look, this is this is a broken record, but if you've looked at the S and P in particular uh, over the last week. I'm sure, look, you know, you, you say regularly we don't invest in the market necessarily and unless you buy an ETF, you don't either. But it's also, many people do and and more importantly, for me at least, many of our listeners do feel concerned because they see the headlines, read the headlines. Even if they don't buy the market, they still feel like, oh man, what's going on over here? And man, so as we record this on Thursday morning, the market in the US was up 2% overnight. It was down 1.5% the day before. It was up 2.25% last Friday. Um I don't remember what it was in between those two days, uh, Monday night and Tuesday night. could be anything. It's just made – it drives me a little bit nuts that we instinctively, the media, uh, the individuals, we all report on – talk about the market as if it has something to tell us. And Buffett has said many, many, many times, the market is there to serve you, not to guide you. And it's worth repeating. I'm going to stop being invited on things like radio that I talked about this morning. Um because I keep, you know, what does this mean for the market? Well, it's just stupid people doing stupid things. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, I gave the example this morning, the COVID crash of 38% was never, ever, 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 ever justified by any sensible thought process because of the implications of what that must mean to future profitability of all of those companies. It just, it just, I mean, 
you know, in, in at the very, 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 very tail end of a distribution, is it possible? I guess, sure. But so we have one in a thousand year floods. This would be the one in, you know, a million year market events. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I, I don't know. I just, I just want our listeners to know, um, we'll probably always have to repeat it. We'll probably always want to repeat it because it's important. But there's, there literally is nothing to tell us. Those those market gyrations, we're probably back to roughly where we started. Um, on a given day, it could be up or down by a couple of percent. It's just the market trying to guess. And it's not even the market. It's just those people who are trading at any given time, trying to speculate on what they should do just in case the next thing happens. And they're not even guessing about where the market's going to go or the, where the market should be. They're trying to guess what other people are going to guess the other people are going to do because that's how you work it out, right? If, I want to make, if I'm a day trader and I want to make money today, I've got to work out what the other guy's going to do because if he pushes share prices up, then I want to own them. If he pushes share prices down, then I want to sell them. But if he does that, if he pushes them up and I push mine up, then I'm going to buy someone else. It just becomes stupid. Like it's just this really ridiculous shell game. Uh, and look, the market, over the long term, the market is great. Again, I'm not saying the market is bad or that share trading is bad or that paying attention to the stock market is bad. I'm just saying, don't try and make sense of it. Like just literally don't because there's no sense to be made other than what happened today. Some people bought, some people sold. They don't know any more than you do. Stop listening to them. Mm-hmm. How's that for a rant? Yeah, I, look, I've known you long enough to know it gets under your skin. Um, <laughs> really? And rightly so. I, 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 I'm more, I've really made my peace with it though. Yeah. I, it sounds it sounds flippant, I know, but I actually, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I, like, <laughs> I'm a stock yeah. picker. I'm trying to, yeah. I'm trying to buy things that, I'm trying to buy dollar coins for 50 cents, right? Yeah. To, put it, yeah. to put it simply. And yeah. in a hyper rational world that, that you describe, mm-hmm. That that opportunity is not <laughs> right. there, so that's right. I get, I, you know, I think I yeah, think it's a yeah. really important message to say, but it's sort yeah. of like you've you've you've. I think if you're going to be the kind of person <laughs> that that wants to buy individual stocks and make yeah. your own analysis, yeah. I think you've got to welcome it, and I think it's I think it is one bit of information, but it's it it without context, it's it's meaningless. So yeah. if all you had was the share price chart the mar- of the All Ordinaries <laughs> or something like that, mm, mm. it's not really going to tell you much. Yeah. But when you can put that in the context of, you know, you need a narrative to wrap around it. It's like, well, the narrative is at the moment there's horrible floods and war and, you know, the mm. tail end of a pandemic and it's like, right, well, okay, well, now, now I've got some meaning around. <laughs> yeah, now I can, I put can it, use this. Yeah, I can yeah. put that, I can, is, is this reaction warranted by virtue of that? Yeah. And then you can go down another level and say, well, actually, this company XYZ that happens to make software, enterprise software for SME businesses, it's predominantly mm. in Southeast Queensland. You, know, you get really granular on this stuff yeah, and true. you kind of, that's you, get, you yeah. get to a point where it's kind of like, I just don't know <laughs> what one has to do with the other. And yet, yeah. and yet, because look, when people get, if you've always said prices are determined on the margin, it's just yeah. whoever happens to trade that day sets the price. Correct. 99% of people aren't doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the business is still there <laughs> doing its doing its thing. It, its outlooks, yeah. its prospects may have been changed, but they change every day anyway as the future constantly mm-hmm. unfolds in weird and wacky kind of directions. Um, but but it's it's just I, I think it's a wonderful thing and and the 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 point I would emphasise that you've made here is just not to let pay, I would say yeah absolutely pay attention mm, of it don't mm, be don't be fearful of it mm, but just mm. don't let it uh, form the basis of your opinions. So speaking of Buffett, it's this wonderful <laughs> saying of the market is there to serve; it's not there to inform. Yep. Um, and what a wonderful servant it can be <laughs> when it has its little ten- temper tantrum, you know, spits the dummy and just sends. I was like, oh, this thing that I really like is now thirty percent cheaper. Thank you very much. You know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. 
I think that's right. I, look, and I, yeah, I will say, I've said before too, I, I actually agree with you in terms of, you know, it's nice to be able to have those market reactions to buy some bargains. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that. It's, it's more the, I, you know, I don't, I don't, it's not going to go away. <laughs> Do I want it to? I don't know. Part of me does on behalf of other people, but, I, you know, selfishly, no, I don't want to go away either. I just want to, I, the point I'm really making is just for those who are emotionally grabbed, intellectually grabbed by the action and trying to ascribe motive. That 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 bit is my issue. I don't, I don't care that the market falls 38%. I kept buying. Um, I made some money doing that, which is lovely. So I, I don't want to go away necessarily. What worries me is people who follow the herd unknowingly, unwittingly, um, because they're not sufficiently educated or experienced. That, they're the group that regularly are my biggest concern because people want to day trade, you know, you choose, your own, choose your own adventure there. If you're a long-term investor like you and I, man, you've been through this before, it's annoying. It kind of hurts a little bit when you lose money, but you know the, the long-term game. It's the person who's not us or them who is just, you know, and we have regularly on, on you know, on the podcast response, by the way, but also on, on Facebook and Twitter and other places. People say, oh, thank you for, for your calming words. Uh, I was getting worried there, but now I know I should, you know, it's, it's those group that worry me. That's the group. And there'll be some people listening here who are either the first time around or just are nervous personalities or see the dollar values they're losing and go, oh my God, like, you know, this is, this sucks. What, what, is it going to end? Is it different this time? You know, is, is it time to worry now, finally? Um, it's those people who I, I feel most sorry for. And I guess that's the message is for them. Uh, the mark's not going to change. Um, remember that people are stupid doing stupid things. We can take advantage of that should we choose to. Just don't succumb to it. Don't be don't be dragged down by it. It's probably my, my broader message for those people. Yeah, it, it's a real tragedy actually. Like so um, Australia has one of the highest rates or if not the highest rate of share ownership. Yeah, in yeah, the world. yeah, yeah. So as, as a country, like we're really engaged in the market, but you and I both know having worked in the industry for a while that the churn is insane. So, you know, you hear this stat all the time that nine out of 10 businesses fail in the first year. I'd, I'd guess that something like nine out of 10 investors give up in their first year because, you That's know, actually, even, yeah. even, when, even when markets are, are not super scary, you sort of realise how, how uh, much work it is and <laughs> how nerve-wracking it, it, it can be. So you just mm. like, I think but this is particularly true for males because just so we're so egotistical yeah. and... Yeah. I don't know what <laughs> cocksure of ourselves, but but you know, so like every dude mm. at some point in their adult life goes, oh, I want to give this stock market thing a go. Like yeah. everyone, and and almost by definition, everyone listening to this podcast right now. Mm. But I can mm. guarantee, uh, if we were to take a sample of of those people in the market today who have only just entered in the last year, a yeah. year from now, at least half of them won't be in the market. Um, yeah, and and. And that that is that is uh, a, a real tragedy. The other thing I was going to say too is is that the points you're making here are in relation to making poor decisions when markets are falling. Mm. Um, I would add to that it's the same is true on the upside when when things are just shooting to the moon. Um, mm. That that also you, again you're using the market to inform. Oh yeah, you. yes, totally. FOMO right. and greed yes, kick in and, yep, yep. and and the rest of it. Uh, and so the, and the third and final point I want to make is as well. I think a lot of this sort of stoicism that we try to instill mm. in terms of your reaction to mm. markets and price movements mm. is all the right thing to do. But I would say a very important caveat to that is that it does rest on underneath that you holding a good quality business. Yes. If, if you're holding a piece of rubbish and the mm -hmm. price is falling mm -hmm. and you're down 50%, 
it's still probably time to sell. <laughs> not be, you know, it's, that's that's where I think a lot of, and I, I've made this mistake a lot where you go, oh, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to be one of these silly people. I'm going to buy more because things are cheaper now. And it's all, it's sort of, it, we've got to be careful to highlight this nuance as well because yeah. if, if yeah. you take it too um, religiously, <laughs> you know, it, it is like, well, no. Actually, sometimes you will recognize yep. that there's a fundamental flaw in the investment thesis, although the world yes. has just radically changed since you bought shares and yes, that this absolutely. is this is still a terrible thing to hold. And, and like, you know, <laughs> long-term investing, dollar cost everything, yeah, 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 yeah. If, yep. if you're yep. holding if you're holding a, a bag of dog poo, <laughs> get, yeah, get rid of yeah. it. Get rid yeah, of yeah. it. Totally, totally. And, that, and that's I, I think that's actually a really good point, mate. That, to my mind, is between the market as a whole and individual companies, right? Yep. So yep. Um, even, I mean, it, it happens to individual companies, but when you see the whole market fall, that's the time it's like, like at the moment, you know, the market's up, as I said, 2% of the S&P overnight, down one and a half sometime earlier this week. That, that's that's literally people just kind of going, oh, I'm out of here. Hey, mm. we're back in the party. Mm. And that's, that's, the, that's the stuff where I'm like, you know what? It doesn't even, it almost doesn't matter what you own those days. You're either mm. going to get smashed with the market or you're going to go up with the market. Either way, as you say, um, the, the same sentiment should apply on the way up and the way down. But yes, I absolutely agree. Uh, just because you already own it, doesn't mean it's worth adding to. Doesn't even mean it's worth holding, as you say. If it's if it's a terrible investment, uh, the hard part I reckon is trying to work out. We're going to get this earnings season in a second because some reflections from there that I want to talk about. But it's a really difficult one to try and get your head around separating when is my thesis wrong? When is the market telling me? Well, the market's always telling you you're wrong when the share price goes down, right? The question is, when is the market right and when is it wrong? That is the hardest thing. And on the way up again, same thing. That, that is the question. Isn't it? That is, that is everything. Yeah. Well, do, you, do, you, do you say, no, I'm sticking with my convictions or do you say, oh, yeah, screwed that up? And mm. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would actually, I will say, I'll, I'll, I'll cop out a little bit. That's why I own a diversified portfolio, right? Because you can't know. You yeah, literally you cannot yeah. know. Amazon's fallen yeah. 50%, 20-something, probably more than that now, times since it listed, right? 50% top to bottom, 20-something times. Mm. The market was exactly wrong every one of those times, at least in hindsight. Other companies, AMP fell 20%, then 20% more, then 20% more, then 20% more, then 20%. And, you know, you were wrong the entire time. Maybe at some point you'll be right. You're still wrong now, by the way. Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> we maybe, can't maybe give advice, but I'm putting it out there. Dump your well, Maybe if you buy a cheap enough price, you'll make some money because <laughs> someone will break the business up and buy the assets more than they're worth and maybe it is a 50 cent dollar, right? It's not going to be a it's not gonna be a 50 cent $20 note. It's, you know, best you're going to make something. But, you know, so at some point, maybe someone's eventually right. But, you know, just, I, I don't know. <laughs> Question without notice. Any hot tips for working that out? No, it's 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 <laughs> it's super hard. I guess my the thing I'm I'm very fond of yep. personally, and and will will tell anyone to do is just keep a diary. Keep a diary. Write your thoughts down. Yeah. Write it out. It's a bit of homework from 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 a high school teacher. <laughs> you've you've just said Scott that you're going to buy this. Tell me why, mm. and tell me what can go wrong, mm. and tell me what are the reasons that are going to cause you to sell. You know, and and then we, making that list and thinking that through. Yeah. away from the craziness of the markets before yeah. anything's happened is yeah. really valuable. And so it does it, it does make the decision a bit easier and sort of when mm. you've got something mm. to refer back to to sort of say, well, I did buy this on the expectation this was a business that was going to grow its top line for like 10% for the next five years and they've just reported a 30% loss and the CFO has left it. Rah, rah, rah. And mm. it's like mm. clearly whatever happens from here is a different – and maybe I can reformulate it and, 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 and continue to hold on that basis. But in terms yeah. of the original thinking, wrong. 
And and as I've, I just say almost every week, it just I think people have to make their peace with that. It's because it's not a question of oh if if you're wrong, like you're, you're gonna be wrong, yeah. guaranteed on a That's whole right. bunch of stuff. <laughs> exactly. You know, at least four times yeah, out of ten, yeah, at yeah, least if you know yeah. what you're doing, right? Totally, totally. And and so you just you you yeah I I I think annoying. Like, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it come look. You know, speak yeah. to the professional. Uh, punters at the yeah. TAB, yeah, right? They, yeah. they, they know. It's not like they go, oh, I lost this race. It's all gone. You're like, no, it's, it's yeah. a probabilistic game, you know, and so yeah, you, yeah. You, you've, got to, you've got to play it that way. Um, Very funny. What else was I going to say? Oh, just one other thing. I was just on what we were saying before with, with mm. these falling markets. One, mm. other, one other trap, I think, for young players is this idea of you hear people espousing the right kind of mentality and there'll be things mm. like buy the dip. Market's down 3% today. Oh, one of the biggest fall, daily falls we've seen in six years or something. Buy the dip. Mm, mm. And I kind of, while I get the sentiment, it's it's in line with what, what you've been saying there, it doesn't really annoy me at the same time <laughs> because if, if a 3% move takes something from mm. – Reasonably priced to like stonking bargain. Like yeah. no one's that good, right? Like yeah, it's, exactly, exactly. It's right. different yeah, if it's yeah. down twenty percent. Like okay, okay. dollars for ninety seven cents. You might be right. You might not be right. But either way, it's not going to be a big deal, is it? Well, well I say, I say, and again, with new investors who who have who have heard the message and are trying to do the right thing, mm. they buy mm. something. They wake up a month or two later, the portfolio is down 5%. Oh, I've, I've really got to buy it. It's like, well, honestly, this mm. is such minor moves. In any other domain, you're going to say, oh, it's 5% difference. Like, nah, nothing. You know, one in 20 difference. Yeah. It's not much yeah. at all. It's kind of like I think that that anchoring to past prices and seeing things are falling down going, yes, I should buy now because things are cheaper. It's like, yeah. well, A, it's not materially different and yeah, it could correct. still be wrong. <laughs> yes, um, yes. And, and that's that idea, again, of just having that independent view of what you were buying and, and how much it's, it's kind of worth. So by all means, buy the dip, but just don't con yourself that yesterday was was expensive and today is cheaper by virtue of a 3% fall. Yeah, I love it. well, I mean, it's cheaper, right? But is it is it cheap enough to make to move the dial meaningfully enough? No, no one's gonna no. do that, right? No. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Let's get some good news for a change. I um I like being I like being the good news guy. I'm an optimist by nature. It makes me sad when I have to talk, talk about terrible news. So, the economy is back, baby. We are back. We are back now at above pre-pandemic levels. We've erased all of that crappy stuff that happened, well, economically at least over the past couple of years. And when I say all of it, lots of businesses are gone. Uh, plenty of people out of work who couldn't get back into jobs. But overall, gee, I tell you what, mate, again, early 2022, I don't know we could have hoped, wished for, expected the economy to be in much better shape. Unemployment 4.2%, GDP growth 3.4%. Yeah, we've got a bit of inflation, but thus far it's under control. Rates are still at 0.1%, which is stupid cheap. And at emergency levels, as the RBA have said, um, mate, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what more we could have asked for or expected yeah. uh, than a 3.4% growth. And this is the fourth quarter of last year, October through December. Um, reason to believe that retail sales were pretty good also early this week. So I don't know, mate. I feel like, you know, despite the floods, despite Ukraine, and that's not to ignore them, but to say despite them, uh, we feel like we're in a pretty good place, I reckon. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be the natural. Oh, come on, pessimist. I'm, I'm not just. You are a natural pessimist. You got to cheer up. You got to cheer up. Come on, life is oh. good. 
It, look, they're, they're incredible. Give me a butt. Go on, they're give incredibly me a good numbers. I, I, right. I guess I would say that this this is uh, it's two months old. This data, so this is this is before the yeah, floods. Correct. This is before correct. Ukraine. So there's, yep. there's that there's that to, to factor it in. Yes. Um. So just yeah, just to make that point. But but uh, look, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. We've got to be careful, like comparing against the prior year and stuff, where things might have been depressed. But when you sort of look at it on a longer term horizon, mm-hmm. it, it you you sort of see this trend of GDP growth. And it's generally a pretty uh, upward sloping steady line. And then you have the 2020 pandemic and subsequent dislocation, this huge, huge sort of fall. And then it's kind of back to where it was. So if you had just extrapolated from 2019, we're back, we're finally now meeting that line again. So we're back on on track. So it's not like the economy is like going gangbusters. Well, actually, it, it is it's very strong figures. It really is that, right? That's the good yeah. thing. But it's more about where we would have hoped to have been if we yeah, had just kept, yeah. kept our momentum going, which, which in itself is remarkable. So, yeah, very. It, it is. It is good to to remind ourselves that there is there's definitely good news out there. It is the good news. I thought from the GDP numbers too, mate. Is and you know again on, on a we, we we have to look aggregates because we we can't know every individual Australian or every individual Australian business, but. Gee, that was some nice numbers. So retail was up, hospitality was up, tourism was up, services were up. Mm. These are the kind of things, transportation, I'm pretty sure, was up really strongly. Household spending, retail sales, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, kind of, but but where the money's being spent, I thought it was just nice that, you know, those retail businesses in particular, retail exposed businesses, to use the cool kids term, uh, that really did struggle during the pandemic when we all didn't go to the shops and couldn't go to the restaurants and cafes. They're the ones that have bounced back pretty nicely. And so, again, as you rightly say, mate, Omicron was the last two weeks of that quarter. So there probably was then a subsequent dip in January. But just nice to see that some money was coming back into some of those companies that have really, really struggled. Yeah. It's been it's been really, yeah, really mindful. I, I'm really, really mindful, sorry, of that, of that you know, some some bit of good news going back. And again, you should expect so. The recovery should exactly do what you suggest because by definition, that's how these things do recover. Mm. Um, we get that result. But yeah, a really, really, really nice setup, I thought. And I think, you know, yep. it's nice, yep. for, nice for everybody. Uh, yes. Yeah. Again, I'm going <laughs> to be a little bit damp here. Oh, come um, on. Help well, me I just, out. I think, I, think I think it's worth looking below the average here. And I've, I've said this yep. before, this was the remarkable thing. One of the remarkable things financially, economically with, with COVID is just how mm-hmm. binary that impact was. Yeah. So if you're one of yes, these people yeah. who, who had uh, a, maybe a, a desk job, you work in the public mm-hmm. service or mm-hmm. something, you're just like, okay, we all have to work. We all have to work over Zoom and from home now. It's kind of this big disruption to our lives, but actually we saved a bunch of money we kept on getting paid, mm-hmm. you know. Yes, for those yeah. who owned houses, they're twenty five percent richer. It's just, yep. it's been an incredible. It's absolutely out, the people out there right now, and many people listening to this are just going, oh, "The last few years have been awesome <laughs> for me." Yeah. They've been, yeah. and then you've got then you've got the twenty six year old who works in hospital, works in a bar in yeah. in you know near the Great Barrier Reef, <laughs> or mm-hmm. your hospitality, or tourism, or retail. And for those people, it's zero. It's like they just went backwards massively. So yeah. it's this really binary kind of outcome. So I think, I think there's a lot of interesting things happening there. I I, mm. I look to the US as a, a really, um, frankly, bleak outlook there because they too have some reasonable numbers mm. at an aggregate mm. level. But then below the hood, there's just a very rapidly increasing class divide. You've got the record numbers of homelessness and just it's just. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think it's it's increasingly becoming a story of the haves and, and haves not. So hmm. I'm always I'm it's always careful fair. when we mention these kinds of things that there'll be people out there at various ends of it. And I think mm-hmm. 
I think it's one, it's the right thing to acknowledge, but I think also too, just it's something that we probably need to have a better um, handle on response to as a society overall, because yep. even if you are at the upper 1%, you know, your your wealth, prosperity and life livelihood depends on, on living in a very comfortable, safe, <laughs> prosperous society as well. So just mm-hmm. for pure self-interested reasons, I think these are things that there is, there's some un- underlying structural issues here that just make me a little bit nervous. Yes, I completely agree. I completely agree. Although I'd rather have those in a strong economy than a weak one, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah. that, that's absolutely true. In fact, it's a quick tangent off to the side and we won't spend too long on this one but um, even if you are purely self-interested didn't care about absolute whatever about your fellow man or woman or child uh, <laughs> if you were, if you were self-interested to make as much money as possible you should want those with the greatest propensity to spend to have more money oh, right? if you, you, you give Warren Buffett another dollar he's going to put that in his massive piggy bank and not spend another cent of it because he doesn't need to doesn't want to and that's fine so yeah. the more the more money he makes the more money he makes and that's it if you put money in the hands of, and this is a, going to be a very, very, very um, ideologically charged response some people will have to this, you put the money in the hands of pensioners, of unemployment benefit recipients, of low-paid workers, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, almost 100% of that money goes back into the economy. Yeah, and so you like Jerry Harvey's doing you, cartwheels right, right now. Right, you know? <laughs> but yeah, exactly. If you, want, if you wanted to actually, ha- and so that's the point. Jerry makes the money. So those people will spend, yes, they'd be better off and that's worth it in and of itself. I think we should increase many of those payments for what it's worth. But even if you don't, even if you think it's a whole terrible whatever, 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 and you want to make more money, you will give them money anyway because if they go and spend it at Harvey Norman or at JB Hi-Fi or at Adairs, I own shares in two of those, uh, or at... Woolies. Crown Casino, at, whatever. Well, literally, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. At some point, yes, yeah. it goes into the economy. So, you know, the if you want to grow, and this is this is where wages growth is so important for all of those businesses who say, so we don't want wages growth. I, I get it. You don't want your bills to go up. But who's going to buy the stuff your business is selling unless you're selling Porsches and, and, and Tiffany bracelets? Um, you know, your business is probably going to benefit from the, the, the people like your employees who also get paid money who are going to spend it at your shop. So it's nope. one of those things that economically, like purely economically, I said, I, I think we should pay these people more just out of a, a sheer fairness, from a fairness perspective, if that makes me a, a bleeding, whatever, bleeding heart, whatever, whatever, then so be it. But literally, even if I didn't think that, I would still want that money to be put in the economy in the hands of those people rather than high tax, high income tax cuts or company tax cuts or whatever because that money's just not going to go back into the economy as much. If you want to grow the economy, if you want to be more wealthy, you want more money spent and so you want to put the money in the hands of those people most likely to spend it who are almost by definition lower income earners. It's just, it's just a, it's yeah. an easy, easy, easy maths problem to solve. Yep. Just for, for ideological and other reasons, we choose not to solve it. Oh, look, the, the, the richest 5% of people in Sudan don't have it as good as yeah, the, yeah. people on the top. You, you, it, you're very much a part of, of it also. Yeah. I think that Henry Ford really articulated it well. You know, the great capitalist, he was – he was no, he was no. Uh, he was no bleeding heart. He was no socialist. You <laughs> no, know, he wasn't um, by any stretch of the imagination. But he paid his workers well above odds and yeah. what he could have gotten away with. That's right. Um, and when asked about it, it was just like, well, they're my customers. Why <laughs> yeah, you know, buy my cars? Exactly. I want them to buy my cars. <laughs> yeah. And and that was actually a, it was it's actually very well 
uh, discuss and for very good reason. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of gotten into the realm of political social theory again, but it's oh, just good. sort of... Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the Political Social Theory Podcast, yeah, presented yeah. by Andrew Page and uh, Scott Phillips. Yeah. It's just, I, just, I just, I think it's it's not enough people talk about this kind of stuff. It's very mm-hmm. easy for an economist from a major bank to get up in their Armani suit and sort of say how, how strong the economy is. I can just <laughs> see a very significant proportion of the population mm-hmm. shaking mm-hmm. their head at the TV going, mm-hmm. you bastard. Like, it's, it's, it's not... <laughs> And you need. That's I right. just think you, you need. Again, it's it's always it's always worth digging in below yep. that headline. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look okay, at look correct. at uh, look at uh, the banks. It's going to be interesting, I think, with the floods because they've given mm. mortgage holidays and debt repayment holidays as a result of all of uh, what's happening. That's that's absolutely going to going to hit them. And then some people are not going to bounce back as strong. So it's, you, you mm. kind of got to think through all of this stuff. Mm. It all mm. it all mm. translates back to the market. It does. Now, speaking of which, mate, that's where I wanted to go next because we mentioned the floods at the top and we've kind of sprinkled it through the, the conversation. No pun intended with sprinkle, by the way. Sorry about that. Um, who don't insure these days, mate? Like it's, no, you know, every every year, uh, twice a year. Uh, and maybe maybe if these things do turn to average out, maybe this is the time you want to because if we've got most of the disasters behind us, maybe the future is better than the past. But um, I tell you what, if it, very rarely a six months go by where an insurer is not saying, "Oh, so we've got to take an extra provision for natural disaster claims that we didn't allow for, we hadn't we hadn't counted on." Uh, it's been a really really tough business over the past couple of years. Um, I'm going to be a bit controversial though, mate. Well, maybe maybe not. I'd say I would absolutely happily own an insurer. Yeah. As long as they were pricing their insurance policies correctly, and this is what I think many people get wrong about insurers. Not necessarily about investing in them. I don't know if they've been good or bad investments over the past 10 years. I'd have to check. But not great. it's not a question of are there more natural disasters? Are there expensive natural disasters? Are there a lot of natural disasters? It's only ever a question. This is, this is maths, right? It's simply a question of, it's, a bit like, it's, like, it's like lending out money. Simply a question of how much money did I get in? How much money did I pay out? And as long yeah. as the first number is higher than the second number, then that's actually all you need to do. It doesn't even matter how much you pay out. Like literally, it doesn't matter. No. As long as what you take in is in excess of that for insurance company for, for banks it's the interest rates you set on your borrowings and deposits for insurers it's simply a question of the the price you put on the premiums do you want to yes. insure your house it will cost you x yes and if x covers the probabilistic loss with a bit left over you've made some money so it's kind of it doesn't mean they're necessarily worth investing in and you said you wouldn't so I'll, I'll get your thoughts as to why in a second but mm. i you know I, I kind of i'm not saying you should invest in insurers either uh, but i do think many people miss the other side of that coin and just say there might be disasters, therefore I'm not going to own them. And say, well, the people default on their home loans all the time, mm. but it doesn't make banks unprofitable. Mm. Uh, people don't pay their credit cards all the time, but the credit card businesses are some of the most yeah. you Businesses know, profitable. find a lot of invoices not being paid. You know, they right, still, but they still make yeah. money. Yeah. So, yeah. so your thoughts on what, why, why would you not own an insurer in that environment? So you're 100% right. This is the, act, the actuaries who do the sums on all of this kind of stuff. Um, very smart people. Mm. Um, so when it comes to something like health insurance, life insurance, absolutely mm. I would. Absolutely mm. I would. Because I, I, mathematically, actuarially, I've got – when I'm look, dealing with a large group of people, mm-hmm. I have got a level of statistical accuracy on how long you're likely to live for that is insane, you know, to mm-hmm. the day kind of stuff. <laughs> Again, I'm talking about the average person within all of that. So the maths is really, 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 really nice. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Andrew Butt Page today. With, Go on. With uh, weather-related damage, mm. again, the actuaries have looked at historical tables and they've said this kind of thing happens every 100 years. Mm. And therefore, based on that, we can 
afford to take in this much for 99 years and then pay out this. You know, I'm, I'm oversimplifying here. My my concern is is that the one in a hundred mm, year event mm. is now the one in five year event. <laughs> yeah. So you're right. I, and the insurance insurers aren't idiots. They'll they'll put their they'll put their premiums up. But I wonder if it gets to a point where it becomes practically infeasible to insure your house. I mean, imagine if you're on one of these low lying Pacific islands. Who's who's going to insure you for for any oh, price? Nobody. Yeah, and nobody. if, if yep. they do if they do offer you a price, you're not going to be able to afford it. Because it is uninsurable. And you mentioned before off air that there's some companies that just north of the tra- Tropic of uh, Capricorn do not insure. And amazing, hey? And that's it, not a small amount of land either, by the way. It's a big area. They don't do it. And, yeah. and this, is, this is, for me, is, is, is the worry. It's like, so this is the, the Queensland uh, floods. That is a record in terms of, you know, like, the amount of rainfall levels, everything. You know, it's just like... No, this was this was a, a you know a three sigma event that the stat- statisticians would say like yeah possible but really 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 unlikely and it's like well it actually happened in 2011 and then before that it happened you know it's just sort of I I feel for those the 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 mathematics of trying to determine averages are different because your historical data set is is much less relevant in a world where the atmosphere is much hotter and co- Incapable of holding much more moisture, which just changes everything in what is a chaotic, dynamic weather system that that can have very, very big perturbations. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think, and this is where you know, um, and insurance has always been a tough business, right? It, it's one of those. I'm a, I'm a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder, card carrying, uh, massive Warren Buffett fan, and it's it's where knowing the insurer, knowing the insurance discipline is really important. You know, Berkshire Hathaway has made money on its insurance almost every year. Um, they are an outlier. They're incredible, right? And, that, and yeah. that's and that's the point, right? Because if you price your policies accordingly, that's all you have to worry about. Yeah. So if you're if you're literally looking at last year's or the year before's or the long run average, and setting your policies on that, you are absolutely asking for trouble in a changing environment. Mm. If you don't even mean environment with capital, I mean environment cha- in a changing world and changing landscape, changing business market. Um, you know, if if things are more likely or less likely to happen now because of changes in whatever circumstances you find yourself, it could literally be natural disasters. But in business, it's the same thing, right? You know, the, the, the guy who started a factory to uh, to repair horse wagons probably not doing very well right now. Mm. But if you if you plan for the future and you have a good view of that future and you price appropriately. There's no reason it can't do well. And as you say, Berkshire is an outlier because they simply say, well, if we don't get a good price, we're not going to write the policy. But if we get a good price, we'll write the policy. And so some years they write a lot, some years they don't write much. If you're, a, if you're an everyday insurer with a team of actuaries and a kind of a hands-off bureaucratic management and you say, well, we need to get some growth and we need to write some policies and guys go and work it out and see what we can do, it's a very very different thing to actually, well, is this really attractive? Should we do the deal? No. Okay, don't worry about it. You know, there's no institutional imperative at Berkshire that there is elsewhere. Um, I would still happily buy an insurer at the right price with the right circumstances if the underwriting discipline was appropriate. But that's the question you've got to ask yourself. Well, rather than it, just you know, is it, it, it you know, will it be more disaster or not? Doesn't matter. The answer is not that. The answer is, will my company price the risk of those disasters appropriately? If the answer is yes, then the number of them, the, the size of them, doesn't actually matter anymore. It's yeah. just you know, will I make enough money despite them? Not not you know, can I can I avoid them? Yes, that's true. Well, to add one more layer of complexity, I mean, you still need ideally as a business, you know, increasing um, underwriting, like I mean, increasing uh, policy numbers and all of that kind of stuff. So you might be able to price it in a way that more mathematically makes sense. But if that's at a level where people are just 
not prepared to pay or you've got the problem with insurers, you've got irrational competitors who, are, who haven't done the maths well and they're offering it at much lower prices. Now, that's bad news for them ultimately, but it's also bad news yep, for you yep. because, you know, Joe Public is out there, he's making his, his or her decision, um, doesn't really care. They're just going to go for the, for the lowest price. The other thing that's interesting with insurance companies is that actually a lot of insurers intentionally run at a loss. On that, yeah, yeah, and they do that because they have, and this is what Buff again. Just read the Buffett letters; it'll explain it all yeah. perfectly for you. Yeah. But it, they, they, and why he got into insurance in the first place was that you have this wonderful mm-hmm. thing called float. And float is all so all of your all of your policyholders pay you a, uh, money, uh, and you get to invest that, yeah. <laughs> and you yeah, only have to give it great. back when 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 the claim is made. So in the meantime, you have all these yeah. billions of dollars in many cases that are just sitting around. And they don't, they invest that and they make a money. So you can actually make a loss on your insurance uh, underwriting, but mm. then, but then, um, underwriting's not the right word. So on your insurance policies, but then, but then make, make it all up on your investments. But that's when it gets, volume. and that, that, that's, that's where it gets even harder. Is, right? yeah, so it's one yeah. thing when it's Warren Buffett running, running the yeah, flight. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, a yeah. different thing for other people to do it. And so this yeah. QBE has been a really fascinating example of this because they've always been very conservative with mm, investing mm. their float largely in, in bonds and fixed interest investments. Yep. And so um, uh, you haven't really gotten great returns in, given what interest rates have done in a lot of these mm. kind of areas. In fact, insur- QBE is the biggest insurer in the country, right? It's had a woeful history yeah. over the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. woeful before any of this kind of stuff has been happening more recently. So, mm, mm. Um, you, you're so let me let me summarize. I'll put a bow on this. Yes, okay. insurance insurance is a perfectly sensible business. A, if you're very good at judging risk, and B, if you're very good at managing the float. And they're just they're just a couple of big ifs that for mm, me mm, um, give me a bit of pause for thought. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I think that's that's the yeah. I think you're right. There are some businesses you just have to. Well, some businesses are too hard, and I think insurance is pretty close to that. Unless yeah. you have a Buffett-style insurance operation run exactly the right way, free of institutional imperative, which is you got to go, got to go, got to grow. That guy over there is doing car insurance for hundred bucks. I guess I better do it for ninety-nine, mm. regardless of the risk, because you want it, you want the policy. So you go, well, yeah. I'll take the risk. Mm. To your point, mate, too, the 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 returns on the underwriting. Oh, sorry, the underwriting. The, the returns on the on the float while you hold it, the premiums that you hold before you pay them back. The, the risk is, right, Buffett's, Buffett's investment strategy is air quotes risky because he invests it in things like stocks mm. rather than bonds which have a lower return which are safer in air quotes except that it doesn't give you as much margin for error, right? So the, yeah. if you're only earning a couple of percentage points, you better be bloody right on that underwriting because if you get that wrong, yeah. you're not making enough money. You're not making up on volume. There's just not enough there. Uh, Buffett, of course, has done exactly the opposite. Maybe sometimes uh, examples are good to follow. Other times they are simply the exceptions that prove the rule. And I think... I agree with you. I owned QBE for a while when it was growing, and it just it was, then it crashed. It was a horrible, horrible investment. Um, as I said, I think they're ownable, but I'm not sure that they should be owned by everybody. Yeah. Mate, as we finish off quickly, um, I don't want to lose the fact that earnings season finished a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, earnings season, of course, the month of February. I've explained before that all companies that have a December 31 balance date have to put their statements of earnings out by the end of Feb. That's just the rule the ASX has. Uh, so there's nothing nothing formal about earnings season as such, just when it tends to happen because that's when companies have their accounts ready to go. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of thoughts on earnings season. I'll ask you for yours and then we'll, mm-hmm. we'll wrap it up. Yep. Uh, a few things. Firstly, cost inflation is here. Yeah. We saw Amcor and Ansel with cost inflation. We saw some tech names, tech names. I hate that phrase. God damn it. Uh, tech companies, names is the worst word in the world. <laughs> tech companies, um, 
quite a few, like a decent handful, say they're getting staff is tough and they're having to pay a lot more. Everyone is saying stuff. It. Yep. It's so and that's hard. a that's a huge deal, right? Because that's a that's there's no upside from that uh, revenue wise or or even profit wise, uh, because you just that, that's 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 business as usual costs. So yeah. it's simply your cost base is increasing. Uh, maybe you can get some money back. We've talked about pricing power before. Maybe you can't. But so inflation a huge huge deal. Yeah. Um, second for me is speaking of tech companies, those growth companies are really hated by the market right now, and that's a thing. <laughs> now, it's a thing in one of two directions either. The market is justifiably saying we were stupid paying that much for these tech companies in the past. They weren't making money. They had lots of promises, but man, who pays 100 times sales for those things? Maybe. Yep. Or maybe we'll look back and go, gee, the market was pessimistic in February where they thought the world was ending and weren't going to pay anything for these businesses and look how great they've got on to be and how much money they've earned mm. or both or neither. Uh, but mate, valuations for share prices for businesses that are not making money have just gone through the floor. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that's interesting. Uh, third one is I think the COVID effect is still playing out. Um, mm. I very much so. Partly kick myself and partly don't for owning some stocks, particularly in retail, that have gone badly share price wise over the past couple of months for results that were completely foreseeable. Like mm. I didn't expect any better because that was COVID, right? Um, in the event share prices crash and you say, well, maybe I should have sold them or bought them back afterwards, maybe. But then you had to have known what the market was going to and how it was going to respond. I'm not sure that it would have been as reasonable to know that for sure. You could have been a very different market response, um, but it's hurt and there's just that's just the, the market we're living through. I think that's that's also worth thinking about. Uh, so they're probably my big three takeaways from earnings season, mate. Um, there was a really broad range of good and bad results. Uh, some earnings seasons, good results are great, bad results are good. This time, great results were okay and okay results were terrible. Mm. Uh, so lots of companies taking the woodshed share price-wise on the back of earnings. Again, I'm not entirely sure what the market expected, but um, it turns out <laughs> expected a lot better uh, mm. than, than what happened in, in some of these cases. Any, any thoughts you've got on, on sort of what we've saw during the season, the kind of implications or, or circumstances? I, I'm going to echo what you said because I, I 100% agree, but particularly on, on uh, for developer costs. Anyone mm. out there who's in year 11 or 12, um, <laughs> become a coder. <laughs> you'll thank me in 20 years. It's You've just like, A, that's the way the world's going, but you'll, right. never, you'll never want for a job. Right, it's right. really hard out there. Mm. For, for, and this is the frustrating thing for a lot of companies that are actually getting a lot of traction. They're going really mm. well. I mean, mm. one, of the, one of the great problems to have as a business is finding staff because you're only yeah. looking for staff when, when you need to expand. And there's a lot of companies that I, I follow. We follow on straw man, just really, really strong results. But they've, they've, a lot of them have said the same kind of thing. We just have to pay mm-hmm. up for talent. And um, mm. it's, a, it's a real cost. And it's the biggest cost for these kinds of companies. So um, I'm, I'm, actually, uh, I'm actually happy for the, some of the companies I've seen where the CEO said, well, we'll pay whatever we have to. Mm. I think I – think, Again, these people are so critical to your business, and anyone yeah. who's ever worked in software, and you know, <laughs> knows that you know the, the the cheapest developer is just the most expensive developer um, <laughs> because they make a mess of like it. That. You've got to clean like it up. That. It takes ten times as long. <laughs> you know, someone who's ten times more expensive who does it once doesn't. Yeah, well. I mean, right. it just I've had that That's experience personally, but as I've yeah. spoken to more and more CEOs, just like yeah. So yeah. if you've if you've got <laughs> if you've got a Wozniak there in your staff, mm. and he goes, I want to work from home, and I want to be picked up in a in a limousine each day, 
bloody do it, right? Because he goes, she goes, uh, and you're spending six months finding someone who is, is good as them and then they've got to bring themselves up to speed and then they'll probably find a better job anyway. So I think, yeah, that's that's, that's a very big thing. It's, absol- it, it's, ab- it, it's absolutely the multiple factor as well. I, yeah. I, I've I've been pretty, on, on average, really happy with what my companies have reported, but, man, they're being hit yeah, really yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think that I'll repeat what we said at the start here. I think the mistake a lot of people are making is they're they're seeing these good results and big share price falls, and mm. very quickly going to the conclusion of oh, okay, so now mm. it's really cheap. I think mm. that's definitely true for for some companies, but I think what's also interesting this time around is that there's a lot where that. But you can say both of those things that the price yeah. has fallen a lot and the result was good, yeah. But shares aren't cheap. And I think that's because, as you said, you've got the uh, undoubtedly strong, great companies, love mm, to own them. Mm, mm. But at 50 times sales, like they can fall to 25 <laughs> times sales. It's like it's still 25 times exactly. sales exactly. and you're not profitable yet. So it's kind of like it's, yes, it's so great to see that they've continued to grow that top line very strongly. But they kind of, you know what, when they were priced at those levels, they had to. And mm. they, had, they had, in fact, they had to do that and then some. And mm. and actually have all of the, a, a lot of that flow through as free cash flow and all these other things. So the market today is much more um, the businesses and their outlooks. I don't think have changed for a lot of people, but the price, mm. the, the premium that they're willing to pay has definitely changed. And I think the focus on the bottom line of the finance of, of the income statement is being a lot more sc- highly scrutinised than it was before. It was just sales, mm. good mm. sales mm. growth, good annual yeah. recurring yeah. revenue growth. Hooray! That's all I need. That's the only thing I care <laughs> about. Right. Now it's kind of like, that's well, right. like I kind of care about the cash burn and whether mm. you're actually going to be mm. a viable business at some point. And yeah. as much as I love you, I, I kind of need this to be at some kind of sensible <laughs> price. So again, it's a horses for courses thing. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I think they're, they're the two big lessons for me from or reminders uh, for me for earnings season. Yeah, it's really hard. But I, I think the, the, the hard part, I think too, for, for people is working out where that sits, right? Because- uh, you know, it's it, there. There are businesses that are not profitable yet. That the market is whipsawing around the place. That may well, in the fullest of time, be worth a squillion. Yeah. And plenty of those who, you know, so is the market saying, "I was wrong, now I'm right," or "I was right, now I'm wrong." Yes. Or somewhere in between. And that, it, it particularly, and this is the, I'm going to say really honestly, this is the challenge of growth investing. Right? If you are that sort of investor, mm. you better be diversified. You better have strong conviction in the performance of your business. You better have a view on what the likely long-term profitability is going to be of these businesses. Because if you're buying a business hoping the market will pay more for it on some sort of sales multiple in five years' time, as we've seen over the last three months, that is a brutal, brutal, brutal thing to try and do. Because from now, look at this and say, well, it's gone from 50 times sales to 20 times sales. So it's fallen by, what is that, two-thirds, a third? Mm. Um, whatever it is, 60%. Will it go back? I don't know, and you don't know. If you're literally, yeah. if you're literally speculating on multiples of sales, that is pure speculation. You might get lucky, you might get unlucky, but I'll tell you what, that's a that's a really, really fine line to try and drive on. If your entire portfolio so expectation is, if and when the market pays me a high multiple of sales, I'll be rich. You better hope that there is sales growth and profit at some point to justify that. No, no one invests not hoping for profit, but if you're not thinking about that at all. Just have a think about that because that really could make a meaningful difference to what your um, what so your returns true. are going to be moving forward. So, so, so never, ever, ever, ever invest on the expectation of what they call multiple expansion. That mm. is that the the, biz, the market will pay more for a dollar of earnings in the future <laughs> than right. it will now. Yep. Um, 
uh, so I am a growth investor. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, that's the kind of stocks that I, I like to go for. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I'm trying to f- figure out a value, I sort of go out, whatever it is, mm-hmm. five or 10 years and then apply some terminal multiple. It's never yeah. a high multiple. Yeah. Because I, I don't know what, it, I mean, I've still got, a, it's a total guess, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Part, part of my process yes, exactly, is guess exactly. what the multiple will this become. It's like saying guess the price. What this will <laughs> yeah, be in yeah. five years. I got yeah, no yeah, bloody yeah. idea. It's, it's how, how, will the market, how will the market think about, you know, paging corporate? Will the market love the fact there's no money, no, no profit, but soaring sales? Maybe. Oh, man. Will the market do the exact opposite and say, unless there's sales, this thing is, unless there's profit, this thing is worth nothing? Maybe. Oh. And everything in between. Mate, as if it isn't hard enough to try and work out what the company's earning in 2028, <laughs> you know, now I've got to try and guess yeah. what the market yeah. will pay for that. It's, 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 yeah. a mugs, it's a mugs game, but it's, it's unavoidable, unfortunately, when, you, when you're doing certain valuation exercises. But I, the way I get around that is that I just never assume a high multiple. Yeah. And, and, and that means that, that should the business perform more or less in line with expectations – and should the market just be in an average or even a little mm. bit of a depressed mm. mood in the future, I'll still go okay because mm. that was that was part of the basis of the expectation. Yeah. yeah. If I'm wrong and the market's in a really buoyant mood, and I know that, look, I, again, you can't you can't pick the timing of it, but mm. I know mm. at some point over the next ten years, at one point the market's going to be in a really bad mood, and another <laughs> point is going to be in a really great mood as well. Yeah. And yeah. because I'm not, I don't have a. Def- a defined timeline here. I can, yeah. I, I am long. I can, I can play it by ear. If it mm. turns out that in the future that it is at a much higher multiple, happy days. I've now got the earnings <laughs> yeah, growth right. and an expansion on it. So it's kind of that's like, right, so, right. so I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is don't try and, don't try and predict it. Don't try and be reliant on it. If it comes fantastic, but if it mm. doesn't, mm-hmm. you've got, you've folded into that, that as a, as a, as a margin of safety. And I think that I think that's how you get around it. And I, I've I, there is a bunch of companies I really love out there, but I wouldn't own despite the incredible mm. results that they're putting out. It's just because I I think that even if everything goes well, and as they mature, that those sales or earnings multiples will come down, and the growth needs to be not just strong but super strong to offset that eventual multiple contraction mm. and it's mm. painful sitting on the sideline particularly over <laughs> yeah, some period right. some years there it's really painful sitting on the sidelines but I, anyway that's that's yeah. how i square that circle and, and hopefully that helps yeah no i hear i hear that's a good one all right mate let's call that a day we are going to come back of course on sunday if you'd be so kind of course wouldn't miss it until then full on cheers The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.